The last characteristic listed in Galatians 5:22 to 23 as a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the change in our character that happens because of the Holy Spirit's work in us. We do not become a Christian on our own, and we cannot grow on our own. Paul tells us in Philippians that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Every good thing we do is the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives. Self-control, or temperance in the King James Version, is, of course, the ability to control oneself. It involves moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to our evil desires and carnal lusts. One of the proofs of God's working in our lives is the ability to control our thoughts, words, and actions. It's not that we are just naturally weak-willed, but rather, our fallen nature is under the influence of sin. I was, uh, okay, so everybody understands we're on the last week of our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and everybody remembers what the last fruit is? Self-control. Thank you so much. You get full marks. So I, I Googled self-control. Uh, sometimes I do that just for fun to see what images come up. And uh, this is not what came up. That's <laughs> There we go. A little boy nonchalantly holding his lollipop, and the man beside him can't control himself, and he is going for the whole thing. Now, I think that don't you think that's funny? I thought it was really funny. Uh, I, I think we can all relate to this image. We laugh at it because we know exactly what it is to have these impulses. I want it, I shouldn't, but I'm taking it anyway. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen here. Now, we're, we're talking about self-control. And the Bible tells us that the, the first sin or the first temptation experienced in the Garden of Eden was a failure in self-control. Everybody knows the story. And Adam and Eve were forbidden from tasting the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the temptation seemed to be too much. And so here's what it says here. It says, so when the, women, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, hey, isn't that the process that we still go through today? when we're being tempted, isn't that right? It's right, right? It's exactly it, we're looking at it, it looks good for food, it's good to eat, it's, it makes, my, makes me happy, it's a delight to my eyes, and man, it's, I'm gonna be wise. Uh, boy, that just uh, checks all the boxes. And so she, it says that she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some of her to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What a dummy, eh, that husband of hers, just standing there. Yes, dear, I'll take it, I'll do whatever you say. Humanity was just days old when it gave in to the temptation and partook in this sin. The sin, of course, was disobedience to God. And, you know, we talk about the Old Testament and its 613 laws. For Adam and Eve, there was just one law, one measly law, and they couldn't keep it. Don't eat from that tree. It wasn't like there weren't other trees full of delicious fruit. 
but it's this one that they wanted. Of course, we know that it wasn't just the fruit, that there was a tempter nearby who lied to Adam and Eve. And how many know that Satan is the father of lies? And that when we find ourselves giving into temptation, it's because we're listening to the father of lies. Now, let me tell you what's really happening. What's really happening is that you're putting your faith in Satan rather than putting your faith in God. Does everybody get that? Let's be clear what sin is. Let's be clear about this. Let's not, let's not fudge it in any way. Let's be honest. When it comes right down to it, we're putting our faith in what Satan says rather than putting our faith in what God says. That's what sin is. So here's, here's an interesting thing. Psychologists say that using willpower to achieve goals is overhyped. In other words, they're saying we're making too much, too, too big a deal out of this. In other words, uh, you know, they're saying it really doesn't seem to work. Psychologist Brian Gallus says, we don't seem to be uh, all that good at self-control. Do you think? Did you really need to get a doctorate to figure that out? Yeah, we're not good at it at all. Uh, Professor Marina Milianskaya says, there's a strong assumption still that exerting self-control is beneficial, and we're showing in the long term that it's not. What? What? Studies have found that trying to teach people to resist temptation either only has short-term gains or is an outright failure. This is what the psychologists have discovered. Well, you probably discovered that yourself, right? if we're honest. But wait, it gets worse. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, i.e. no self-control, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's Paul saying here? He's basically saying that there's no heaven for those of you who lack self-control. Let me give you a moment to let that sink in. Thanks a lot, Pastor Alan. I came to church on the long weekend, and this is what you tell me. Can't you tell me something a little bit more cheerful? Paul is confirming what God said to Adam and Eve. You will surely die. The death penalty awaits those who break the law of God. Well, the whole thing seems utterly hopeless, doesn't it? What Paul says here seems hopeless, what the psychologist today seems hopeless. We look at this, it seems hopeless. And quite frankly, what all of us experience in our personal lives just seems to say, yeah, the whole thing is hopeless. How on earth can we ever be self-controlled? So what do we do? Is there any hope for us? Well, here's the interesting thing. Psychologists have stumbled onto something that works to a degree. It's not great, but it's the beginning of the right thing. They're on the right track. And how many know that if 
those, those who seek for God will eventually find God. That's what God says. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Those who are trying to find answers uh, will, will be moved in the right direction. That's the, that's the grace and the mercy of God. But the problem is the psychologists don't want to include God in the equation. Isn't that right? That's right. The unbeliever doesn't want to include God. They, they mock the idea. Well, I'm going to tell you more about, the, about what they've discovered and, and, and the limited success that comes from that, but I'll tell you more about that later. But first of all, I want to show you today how you can be self-controlled in a way that pleases God. I want to show you how you can be self-controlled in a way that you will not experience the death penalty, but you will have eternal life. All in favor, say aye. aye. Isn't this great? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? In fact, I'm going to tell you that the message today is the most important in the whole series. In fact, it was supposed to be preached last Sunday, but we were delayed a week. So here we are on the long weekend, the most important message, the hammer, if you will, and uh, everybody's on vacation. So you have to, everybody has to do me a favor. I'm asking you to do me a favor. Would you please get the link and send it to everybody that you notice is not here today? And it'd be hilarious if some people get five or six or ten Send emails with links. But send this on to as many people as you can because I want people to hear what I've got to say. So first of all, let's understand what self-control is. And again, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is an inside job in the same manner that sin is an inside job. Uh, it's something that, is, that comes through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to recognize again that this is a checklist, and we said that if when we go through the checklist, we realize that something's missing, then we got, that's a big red flag, we got something wrong. Something's not right in our spiritual lives. There's something wrong in, in our Christianity that we need to get sorted out. And I told you before that this is a checklist I go through my mind all the time. That's why I know it so well, and I can recite it at it, Three o'clock in the morning, I can recite it at three o'clock in the afternoon. I can recite it anytime because, because I really use this checklist. I want to know, am I where I need to be? That's what this is all about. And if any one thing is missing, then you've got problems. So don't say, oh, hey, I've got eight of the nine. Hey, that's good, right? Wrong. Thank you, Joey. It's wrong. It's, it's all or nothing, baby. Remember, fruit is singular. It's it's all or nothing. And so if we're missing something here, then we need to get it resolved. So let's just quickly take a look at the definition of self-control. And uh, it's a Greek word, enkratia, and uh, it's the, the, literal, the literal translation of that Greek word is in-holding. The, the idea is, is holding it together. It's, you've heard the expression, hey man, pull yourself together. That's what we're talking about. Now, if you have a King James Bible, it translates the word temperance. But that is, that is a good word, but it doesn't, doesn't properly reflect what the Greek word means. And um, maybe when the King James Bible was written in the 1600s, that, that was a good word to use. But today, a better word is in fact self-control. So it's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites, 
It's the ability to say no to our baser desires and lusts. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did not do. And the, it's the controlling power of the will under the power of the Spirit of God. And so we, we're recognizing that, that we're recognizing self-control from our perspective and from God's perspective. So when we talk about self-control here in this context, we recognize that self-control needs to be a work of the Spirit in us. Everybody understands that. And I think everybody here is old enough and lived long enough to understand that you do not have the ability to exercise self-control in a way that produces good results. Would everybody agree to that? Yeah, everybody agrees. So we're all on the same page. I want you to listen again to Genesis 3, 6. To the... The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. We still go through the same process. We look at something and we allow ourselves to to linger on that thing. And next thing you know, we are fantasizing, we are desiring it, and we are lusting after it. And then next thing you know, it gotta have it. Gotta have it. Nothing's changed. Well, Paul explains that this is, this is the universal problem of every human being, including your pastor. You, do, do you hate me now? <laughs> you still love me? This is the problem that every single one of us experiences. And, and I'm in good company, because I'm not the only one, and you're not the only one. The Apostle Paul also struggles with this problem of self-control. Listen to this, and if you have your Bibles, you can take, it, take them and, and turn there, Romans 7, 14 to 20. And I'm using the New Living Translation. Here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. He's a lawyer, and his, his ideas, his concepts can be very complicated and difficult to understand. So you really need to have, uh, a, a, I would say, unless you're brilliant and a lawyer yourself, you need a, a translation that's easy to understand uh, so that you get the concepts, and I really, I've checked this against the Greek, it's excellent. So here's what Paul's, Paul says to the Roman believers. He says, verse 14 of Romans 7, so the trouble, my trouble, our trouble, is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. Now, how many have heard people say that the law is bad? Has anybody heard that? And one pastor said, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. We have to ditch the law of God. But Paul's saying, oh, uh, uh, no, 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 no. It's good. It's spiritual. There's nothing, nothing wrong with the law. Paul says, the trouble is not the law. The trouble is me. The trouble's with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. Everybody hear that? That's the problem. Now, this notion, this idea that we have free will, it's kind of laughable. In one sense, yes, we do. But at the end of the day, (laughs) we're slaves. Every one of us, until we've been set free by Jesus Christ, we are a slave to sin. So Paul goes on to say this. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, does that ring, ring a bell with anybody? Honestly, does it ring a bell with anybody? Yeah. Verse 16, but if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. 
So all the things we know we need to do, the law is, is telling us that's what we need to do, and we love that, and we're all in favor of it. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. This is what Paul is saying. I don't want to do it, but sin in me makes me do it. In other words, he's saying I'm a slave to sin. And then he goes on to say, verse 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. So it's not even that, it's not even that you don't do it, it's that you can't do it, Paul is saying. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Catching this? We got a dilemma here, folks. We got a war in, in our hearts and lives. And this is why sometimes you'll see when a person is being tempted in, in cartoons or in, in, in the TV movies or whatever, you'll see there's an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. Has anybody seen that? And the, they're duking it out. The poor guy in the middle is hearing the devil and hearing, and usually who wins? The devil usually wins, right? Well, this is what Paul's describing, this, this battle that's going on. And he says this, I have discovered this principle of life. Here's a principle of life that we all can understand. We can all embrace it and agree with it. He says that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. That's the principle. Has anybody experienced that? If you haven't experienced this, then, you know, we, 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 <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. Because this really is the human condition. Paul says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Then he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So now you understand what self-control is and you understand what it is not. You understand our dilemma. So now, Pastor Allen, do you have for us a solution to our self-control problems? Well, folks, that's why you came to church today. You came to hear the good news. You came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's what Paul says. And this is the completion of that passage. Thank God. Thanks be to God. The answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone say hallelujah. Thanks be to God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So here's the thing. I'm teaching you now today how to be self-controlled. First of all, you need to put your faith in Christ. We call this the way of salvation. Everybody got that? The way of salvation. Christ sets us free from the bondage to sin. Whereas before you were a slave to sin, when you put your faith in Christ, Christ comes and he sets you free. And no longer now are you subject to the law. That's why it says in Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and most gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The law now is, is, 
is not the thing that controls us, nor is it the thing that condemns us, because now we answer to Jesus Christ. Now it's the spirit of the living God at work in us, enabling us to live the life he's called us to live. So the first thing you need to do is you need to put your faith in Christ for salvation. And the good news is that he pays the death penalty with his own life. The next thing he does is he washes away your sin and continues to be your covering. Did you get that? So he washes away your sin, and the Bible calls him a propitiatory covering. That is, he's a shield against the wrath of God. Now, some people think that every time they sin, they, they have now they're unsaved, and they've got to get resaved again. How many, how many know that once you're, once you're born, you can't be unborn? And likewise, once you're born again, you can't be unborn again. You can backslide, you can still sin and make, but understand this, you are saved for eternity. You belong to God. You are a child of the Father. This is the good news. Those moments when you are lacking self-control, God does not say, that's it for Alan Duncalf, out. No more. Alan, you have sinned your last sin, that's it, no more. And I've heard so many people call me concerned, worried that they have, they have committed the unpardonable sin or that they've sinned one too many times. And the fact of the matter is, folks, is that this is a misunderstanding of Scripture. What you need to know is that once you put your faith in Christ and once you're truly born again, and I don't mean just say a sinner's prayer. I mean you know that the Spirit of the living God has come to dwell in you. Then you belong to God. And the nice thing, the wonderful thing, is he washes away your sin, and he continues to wash your sin away. And, the, and here's the thing that just blows me away. Not only does he wash away your sin and save you for eternity, but now he gives you his Holy Spirit. And this is what the prophets were speaking about. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh in place of that heart of snow. Hey, doesn't that perfectly describe everybody before, before we're born again? We have a heart of stone. We don't care about the things of God. Our heart is hardened, and we're, we're mean and nasty. But once God saves us and his spirit dwells within us, we have a heart of flesh. So here's what Paul says to the Galatians. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. In other words, don't go back under the law where you become legalistic. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law, which is what so many people do. So in our church, and some of you have come from a fundamentalist background, so you know exactly what I'm saying here. You're saying, you've been taught that the only way that you can know God's mercy and his grace in your life is if, you, if you're diligently keeping all the laws and don't ever make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, then then we need to go and, 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 uh, and, and beat yourself and beat yourself up and, and maybe get saved again and on and on. It's utter nonsense. Paul says, don't get tied up with that again. Here's what we, what we learned in, in our study of Philippians. For God is working in you by his spirit. I just added that so you're clear giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. 
Folks, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not just observing a religion. You are in relationship with Almighty God, whereby his spirit works in you to not only desire to do what pleases him, but he gives you the power to do what pleases him. So you desire it, and you're now empowered to do what pleases him. Would anybody call this good news? This is what God wants to do in your life. This is what God is doing in your life if you are aware of this. Now, I wanna remind you that doing the will of God does in fact include keeping the law. But we do this now not because we're afraid of going to hell, we keep the law of God because this is an expression of our love for God. We want to obey him, we wanna do his will. And this is the problem with Adam and Eve. They broke the law of God because they didn't love God. They loved themselves better than they loved God. Think about that for a moment. The key to understanding this, this, this item on the fruit list is the word self, self-control. I'm gonna tell you that by nature, Self wants to do what self wants to do. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. That's our problem. But now, with the spirit of the living God dwelling in us, we have a brand new love for God, whereby we want to do God's will and not self-will. You getting this? The light's going on here? This is the process. This is what's going on in your life day by day. God, by his spirit, is teaching you to do his will. And by the way, that is what love for God is. Now, for most people, when it comes to Christianity, they stop here. They say, put my faith in Christ, I'm a Christian, that's it, it's all done. Hold on a minute here. Hold on a minute. This is why you're struggling. Because you haven't advanced, you haven't grown in your faith. Putting your faith in Christ is the beginning of the journey. What needs to happen next is you need to begin to know Christ and have a relationship with him. Are you getting this? You put your faith in Christ, and now you need to know Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, compared to all my great achievements, I count it all as dung, as manure compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That's my new goal, I want to know Christ. So you put your faith in Christ and now you commit your life to knowing Christ and having relationship with Jesus Christ. Get it? Got it. Okay, so here's the thing, a lot of people know about Jesus. In fact, it's shocking how many Christians only know about Jesus, they don't really know him. How can you call yourself a Christian if you, don't, if you don't know him personally, this is what Jesus prays in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you and the one that you have sent. This is what Jesus says. The, ref, the evidence that you have eternal life is that you know Jesus and you understand your relationship to Christ. So lots of people know about Jesus. A lot of people who are not Christians know about Jesus. How many know today that Satan knows about Jesus? Does that save him? The demons know about Jesus, does that save them? In fact, they even believe in Jesus. 
which is better than a lot of people out in the world that don't know Christ. They don't even believe in Jesus. Even Satan and the devils believe in Jesus. The problem is, is they don't trust Jesus. They haven't put their faith in Christ. So here's the thing. You need to understand that as a Christian, it's so important you get this. This is the doc, we call this the doctrine of union with Christ. You need to understand that when you became a Christian, you acknowledge that you are one with Christ. We call this union with Christ. That's the expression, that's the theological term. It refers to our oneness with him. And it, it happens by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and of course through faith. Now again, when you sin, when you, when you give into temptation, when you lose, your, lose your, your control of yourself, you don't become unsaved, you stay saved. Now this idea that you lose your salvation or that you're not a Christian anymore has caused so much harm in the life of believers. I've heard so many people say this. My dad has said this. He said, when I was a little boy, I tried to keep all the rules. And then he said, what happened was then that I just felt I couldn't do it anymore, so I didn't bother trying anymore. Some of you have gone through that. They all oh, can't do this. Why bother trying anymore? Well, my father didn't understand union with Christ and probably wasn't taught or preached. He didn't understand that once you're converted, you, you are one with Christ. It doesn't toss you to the curb. No. Adam and Eve, as soon as they, they sinned against God, what did they do? They, went, they ran away. They hid from God. That's what we do when we sin. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, because you are one with Christ, you don't now run away from God and hide from God and hide from church and stay away from your Christian friends. If you're sinning, if you're sin, run to church, run to God. Don't run away from him. He loves you. So many people have the wrong idea of who God is based on their upbringing. Every time they made a mistake, Maybe you were raised in a home like that. You just really got it really hard. So the last thing you want to see is your father or your mother if you sin. That's not our God. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline us. In fact, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. Why does he do it? Well, the answer is found in Romans 8, 29, to conform us to the image of his son. Yes, he will discipline us. And yes, we're gonna go through a bit of a struggle. We're gonna go through a bit of a hardship. Why? Not because God hates us, because he loves us and he's sanctifying us. He's making us like Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, are you starting to see a pattern here? The focus is off of self and the focus now is on God. You see this? This is what we call a God-centric theology, a God-centric Christianity. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I do, it's about what he does in me. When I began to understand that, my friends, that was a game changer for me, because I'm gonna tell you, that's not how I grew up. That's not my understanding of Christianity. I thought it was all about me and what I do. But thanks be to God, he's revealed the truth to me. God! has begun a great work in me, and Paul says he is faithful to complete it, hallelujah. And God is doing the same thing in you. So you need to put your faith in Christ if you're gonna be self-controlled. Remember, because Jesus sets us free from the power of sin. 
And then we need to get to know Christ and understand who Christ is and what he, what he has done in our lives. Understand that we're in the process of being sanctified. You need to understand this. You need to understand what's going on in your Christian life. You need to understand what God is doing in you. Because once you understand that, you don't go away in despair and throw up your hands and say, oh, well, what's the point? No, you understand that God has begun a great work in you and he is going to finish it. Wow. Paul says, am I, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Folks, tell the person beside you, you are a work in progress. And the other person say, and so are you. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. God is sanctifying us. He's making us like his son. He's not finished with us. But thanks be to God, he's doing his great work. Paul reminds, the, uh, reminds us in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are one with Christ. Do you get this? It's a game changer. There's no condemnation. You say, Pastor Tom, what about my sin? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Should I say it again? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. No longer I that lives, it's Christ living in me. Do you understand this? So you put your faith in Christ, and then you have a relationship with Christ where you know Christ. And by the way, baptism and communion is a reminder to us that we are one with Christ. Last week, uh, we had communion together, and I had someone contact me, someone who'd been a Christian for many years, and, and this person said to me, I sat there when you said that this is for sinners. The communion is for sinners. For, for many people, the communion service is the most anxiety-driven moment in the history of the church. Every time we come to the table, it's like, <laughs> Is God going to strike me with lightning for taking this communion, knowing what a sinner I am? No, it's for sinners. It's a reminder to you. You belong to Jesus. He died for you. He took your sin away. Your sins are covered. You belong to God. You're in the family. The Father loves you. What do I have to do up here? Aren't you glad you came to church this long weekend? Thanks be to God. Every time we baptize someone, it's a reminder, you are one with Christ. When you take communion, you're reminded, you're one with Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You're covered. You're safe. You say, but Pastor John, I still sin. God knows that. But here's what's happening, is that you are being sanctified. You're being transformed. You're being renewed. You're being refreshed. You're not being renovated. Has anybody ever done a renovation? I hate renovations. Renovations are from hell. They're from the devil. <laughs> Awful. They usually last for hundreds of years. <laughs> you 
No, thanks be to God. He doesn't renovate. He gives, I'm a brand new creation, a brand new creature. What do you think? Brand new creation. Hallelujah. Now, I've described to you the way of salvation. I've described to you the way of a relationship with Christ. But now I want to talk to you in the few moments left to me about the way of discipleship. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need to know Christ and understand your relationship to him. And then thirdly, you need to follow Christ. Everybody get that? Because a lot of people don't do that. I gotta tell you, I am, I am shocked, I'm astonished, I am appalled at the lack of growth in Christians in North America. I'm appalled at it. Now, I'm not condemning. I mean, who am I to condemn? Not even Jesus condemns his own. But I'm shocked at that. I'm shocked at the lack of holiness. I'm shocked at the lack of self-control. Because Paul tells us that self-control is possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how is it that we then can be self-controlled? You need to follow Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is not a suggestion. Did you think that was a suggestion? It's not a suggestion. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, this is what you got to do. God does his part. Now you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You have to deny yourself. Self. Did you hear that? Self? That's your problem. Self. Deny self. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Peter says the same thing. 1 Peter 2.21. You need to follow in his steps. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's no question that we need to imitate Christ, that we need to follow him. You say, Pastor Allen, how does this help me with self-control? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Because here you're going to discover a secret that, that we forget. You've heard me talk about the habits, seven habits of serious Christ followers. I'm inclined now to change the name to the habits of grace. I was discussing that with some of the pastors earlier in the week. You need to know where God's grace comes from. See, Pastor Allen, the idea of grace is such an abstract idea. I have no idea what that means. What does it mean? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I can tell you. The grace of God is the empowering, the enabling of God. Some of you have heard the definition that love is God's undeserved love to the sinner. It's far, far, far more than that. It is God's undeserved love for the sinner. But what does it look like, practically speaking? It is his enabling. It's his empowering. It's his strength. So how do you get this power? Where does it come from? I'll tell you, go to church every Sunday and you'll find out. If you don't go to church, you won't be empowered. 
The church fathers talked about it as the means of grace, the way that grace comes to you. You go to church, you receive God's grace. Look at how many felt the grace of God when you saw your brothers and sisters in Christ? Some of you have been away for a while because, you, you know, because of COVID, but you've come back and you think, oh, I feel so good. I feel, I feel so happy, so joyful. What's going on? It's the grace of God at work in you. And you come and you sing these songs, and these songs remind you of what Christ has done for you at the cross. You're reminded that your life is built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. What is this? The grace of God is coming to you. You're being reminded of who you are. You belong to Jesus. You've been transformed. You've been renewed. You've been saved. You've been set aside for heaven. The grace of God comes to you. You come with your sin, with your temptation, with your struggles, with your problems, with your fear, your depression. You come to church and you're reminded that God is sovereign and all-powerful and nothing on this earth is going to keep you from the love of God. The grace of God comes to you. It empowers you. It strengthens you. You partake of communion. You're reminded, oh, yes, God hasn't forgotten about me. God hasn't pushed me to the side. God doesn't hate me. He loves me. What has happened? The grace of God has come to you through communion together. And soon what we're going to be doing a baptism, what's going to happen? As you see and you witness that baptism, you're going to be reminded of your own baptism. You're going to be reminded of what God has done for you. What happens? The grace of God comes to you. It's important to go to church. Don't miss it. Don't ever miss it. Be in church every Sunday, even on long weekends. <laughs> ah, you got to have a break once in a while. Receive the grace of God there. But wait, there's more. There's more means of grace, yeah. Yeah, you need to have a daily walk with God. What does that mean? means you need to talk to God and let God talk to you. How does that happen? Well, we call it prayer, which is we talk to God, and God talks to us by reading the word of God. You need to do that every day. What happens? You receive grace. Now, look at this, folks. Here's what's going to happen. Remember, God is sanctifying you. As this grace comes to you, you find yourself becoming stronger and stronger in your walk with God and more self-controlled. And I could go on this morning. You need to be in a small group. You need to surround yourself with Christian friends. If you're surrounding yourself with people who don't love Jesus, who are filthy and profane, guess what? You become like the people you hang out with. You want to receive God's grace? Hang out with believers and watch what happens. You receive grace. You want to receive grace? Give. Give. Give to the work of God. Advance the kingdom of God. Watch what will happen. And, of course, we could go on and on this morning. These are the means of God's grace that empowers you to be self-controlled. And let me just say this in conclusion. In 2015, a psychologist, Brian Gala and Angela Duckworth, they published a paper in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Across six studies and more than 2,000 participants, they found that people who are good at self-control also tend to have Good habits. They're just finding out what we've known for thousands of years. Psychologists, come on, you don't need to get a doctor for that. Just read your Bible. People who are good at self-control seem to be structuring their lives in a way to avoid having to make a self-controlled decision in the first place. Did you get that? 
if you want to be self-controlled, don't be in a position where you have to control yourself in the first place. In other words, if you want to be self-controlled, don't be in the place where there's temptation. Hello? If your computer causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cut it off. Don't put yourself in a place where you'll be tempted. Psychologists are just figuring this out. We've been preaching this for years. They say you need to structure your life and that it's a skill. We call it discipline. The word disciple and discipline have the same root. It says people who do the same activity, like meditating at the same time each day, have an easier time accomplishing their goals, the psychologist says, not because of their willpower, but because the routine of habit makes it easier. Do you know that Jesus had many good habits? And these are the habits that we're teaching you here at Cross Church. Do you know that it says that Jesus was in the habit of going to church every Sunday? But they didn't call it church. But they went, he went to the gathering, to the assembly. That's actually what church means in Greek. He went to the, every week. That was his habit. He was, as he was in the habit of doing, that's what it actually says in the Greek. And that's why I'm thinking of putting that habit in top place now. I gotta put that in number one place because we're living in a day and an age where people think that they can follow Jesus and never go to church. And I'm telling you, it's not possible. That doesn't mean that, that you can't become a Christian, but it means if you're gonna stay a Christian and be a Christian, you have to go to church. There's just no way around that. And people say, oh, I hate the church. They are absolutely ignorant of scripture and they're ignorant of the fact that Jesus Christ calls the church his body. You hate the church, you hate Christ. Okay? Everybody clear on that? Everybody shocked by that? So, here's what they discovered. They discovered that the students who exerted more self-control were not more successful in accomplishing their goals. Now, you would think if we're now really making an effort to be self-controlled, I'm now gonna be successful at being self-controlled and contrary to what you would think. It didn't happen, no. It was the students who experienced fewer temptations overall who were more successful. And here was what we're saying. With the habits that we teach you here at this church, we call it discipleship following Jesus. That is the way that you are going to have God's grace and his empowering to be self-controlled. And what's more, the people who exercise more effort for effortful self-control also reported feeling more depleted. So not only were they not meeting their goals, they were also exhausted from trying. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart, because some of you are here today some of you watching online today have felt exhausted in your Christian life. And you think, where's all the joy that I'm supposed to be having? Where's all the peace? And now you know. You've got to stop looking to yourself. You've got to start looking to Christ. I said this a few weeks ago. On my deathbed, whoever's going to be there, that's what I'm going to tell them. Look to Christ, and then I'm dead. That's all you need to know. 
look to Christ, put your faith in Christ, get to know Christ and your union with him, and follow him. Live your life as Christ lived it. And you will know the power of the Holy Spirit making you a self-controlled Christian. But this good news, let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you, O oh God, for what you're doing here by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that on this long weekend, we've got so many people who've come to hear the word of God. Help us now, Lord, to, pro to, to spread this good news to others, to, to, to pass the link along so that nobody misses out on this message of looking to Christ. We thank you today, Lord, that all things are possible through God. With man, it's impossible, but with God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live the life you've called us to live. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Yeah. Tell the person beside you, go follow the Holy Spirit.